Amen. Thank you, choir and orchestra and drama. Tremendous presentation. I love the title of this cantata, Master of Miracles. And indeed, Jesus Christ was exactly that. There's never been, nor will there ever be, anyone just like Jesus Christ, especially when it comes to the miracles that he performed. Uh, you may have your favorite miracle that we read about in the scriptures. There's, there's many of them. Uh, he certainly raised many people from the dead. We heard of Lazarus here in the drama. My, my favorite is there was the occasion that Jesus Christ was entering a city. And as he is, we might call it entourage, that followed him, were approaching the city. Out from the city came a group of mourners. And they were bearing on them the, the body of a young boy. In fact, his mother, a, a, a widow, he was her only son. She was mourning right next to the, uh, the procession as they slowly and uh, mourning carried him out of the city. And Jesus Christ came upon them. And to make a long story short, Jesus Christ raised that young man from the dead. There are many others. We think of Jairus and his daughter of 12 years old age, uh, his only daughter, and Jesus Christ raised her from the dead. Many others. I think of the, the ones that are even alluded to in the drama here. Uh, the feeding of multiple thousands on different occasions. Uh, the walking on water of Jesus Christ and even Peter for a few moments. Uh, the many miracles of the healing of lepers, those who were sick with disease in one manner or another, uh, the healing of the, uh, the paralyzed time and time again. And to me, what's most amazing is that the Bible, in fact, John, who was represented in the drama here, tells us that the miracles we read of, and don't miss this, doesn't even really begin to touch the tip of the iceberg of the miracles Christ did. The Master. In fact, John it was who wrote in John chapter 21 and verse 25, he said this, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And what an amazing thought. And I love that John adds, amen. Amen. That little word amen literally means truth or truly. Sometimes we see it as verily. It is the call to you and I to understand and comprehend this is truth. In fact, it really is a call to stop, to pause, to consider, to meditate on the truth that we have just been presented with. You see, Jesus Christ was the master of miracles. But it begs the question, maybe you're sitting there today or maybe there's been a time in your life that you've asked this question, why? Well, why so many miracles? Why, why did Jesus Christ uh, perform all these wonderful miracles? What was the purpose of these amazing acts. Well, to put it simply, the, the point is this. They were the evidence and proof that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the promised Messiah, that he was the one designated from the beginning of time to be the spotless Lamb of God who would go on to die on the cross of Calvary and take away the sins of the world. You see, even when Jesus Christ walked this earth and he spoke with folks and he taught his disciples and uh, the uh, groups of people were gathered around him, he, he spoke of this himself and spoke of himself in that manner. John recorded John chapter 10 and verse 38. But if I do, Christ speaking, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. The same passage in verse 25, I believe it is. Jesus Christ says this. The works that I do in my Father's name bear record of me. 
I am the Messiah. I am the Savior of the world. I am God. Well, Pastor Henry, if you might think, Pastor Henry, if these miracles were there to prove and give evidence, proof that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that all must put their faith and trust in for heaven and salvation, then why aren't you performing miracles today? Pastor Henry, why in the world is, is Christ Church not having a big lunch afterwards and you're going to produce from a small lunch of some biscuits and fish enough food for all of us? Now that'd be something, amen? Hey, Pastor Henry, why are we having great healing services where, where hospitals are emptied and, and those who are, are lame and, and sick and diseased can come and, and be healed to, uh, to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? It's a good question. I would allow John to continue answering it for us. You see, this is what he wrote. In many other signs, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But notice what he says. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. See, all the miracles that we could list that Jesus Christ performed, yes, they were great, and they were greatly needed because there was no written testimony at that time. See, the New Testament was not around speaking of Jesus Christ. There was no organized Bible detailing his life and all that he did and, and who he was as the very Son of God, the Messiah. But now, and my friend, may I tell you, but now, and praise be to God, you and I have the written and preserved record of the proofs that Jesus is God. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. Let me put it this way. You see, before, his works were performed so people would believe. Today, his word is provided so people will believe. Great truth and the reality of, hey, well, Christ committed these works. John recorded them. And the other uh, authors of the New Testament, even including Paul and others, wrote down of these great miracles so that we could believe. You see, what John did long ago in the, uh, the book that he wrote, we are doing today for you. We are declaring today that Jesus is the master of miracles. And one of his greatest, if not the greatest miracle, yet to be performed by Jesus Christ is this. My friend, he wants to deliver you from death unto life. He wants to deliver you from death unto life. You see, the gospel we celebrate today on Easter, the, the reality of what makes this salvation message so glorious is simply this. You see, Jesus Christ died for the sins of every sinner. And Jesus Christ was buried enduring death for every believer. And what we celebrate today, Jesus rose again as the great conqueror of sin and death in the grave to secure eternal life for every believer. My friend, this morning as we think of the feeding of the 5,000, as we, we think of the, hearing of the, uh, the healing of the paralytic, as, as we think of even the raising of Jairus' daughter, may I tell you right now, all of those pale in comparison to Christ's greatest miracle ever. And you say, what was that? Oh, his act and his sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary where he died for you and he was buried and he rose again in so doing, he made it possible for you to be delivered from death unto life. 
scriptures are clear. It is not a comfortable truth, but it is truth nonetheless. Jesus died for your sins. So that through faith, you could have eternal life. I like what Paul would later write in Romans chapter 5 and verses 6 and following. He said this, for uh, when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, great point. He said, you and I had no strength. What he's saying is this, I can't work my way to heaven. There's no way for me to gain deliverance from death and gain eternal life in heaven. Absolutely nothing that I can do in and of myself to gain that. I am without spiritual strength to deliver my own soul. And yet the statement says that he died for the ungodly. You see, we could not escape the penalty. Penalty had to be paid. And then he says in verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Now notice what he's saying. Hey, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners and rowdy. As he says, you know what? Sometimes somebody may die for the righteous. They might even die for Man, They're just such a good person, so I'll sacrifice. I'll die for them. But that's not the case for you and I. See, there's none righteous, no, not wrong. And yet, what do we read after verses 6 and 7? And boy, I've never been so thankful for a verse 8 in all the Bible as this one. But God commendeth his love toward us. <laughs> and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My friend, can I tell you something about Easter? Certainly there's little ones here looking forward maybe to eggs and bunnies and all that good stuff. And many of us this morning have already enjoyed speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what this day really holds forth and commemorates and celebrates. But I want to tell you something this morning. You know what Easter really is? Easter is a love story. Not your run-of-the-mill love story, but the greatest love story that was ever told. But God commendeth, he demonstrated, he showed, he displayed his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, we were without strength. Christ died for us. John would go on to, uh, to make a point. You think of John here. and John wrote a couple different books and so forth. And he recalled all those miracles. But later on, he'd write in a small epistle, 1 John chapter 4. He said this, herein is love. You want to know what love is? It's not lust. It's not how the world might define love. No, herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, what's propitiation? Big word, it simply means appeasement, atonement, or payment. He paid for our sins. You say, now wait a minute, Pastor Henry, why in the world was an appeasement necessary? Why was a payment necessary? Well, Paul would explain that in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I am a sinner. Every person that has taken a breath here on earth is a sinner. You say, Pastor Henry, why is sin such a big deal? Okay, so we're all sinners. So what's the big deal? Yeah, we're all not so, not so good. We're, yeah, everybody can't be perfect, so everybody's a sinner. What's the big deal? Paul would write that answer a few chapters later. Chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Here's the problem, and my friend, it is a big problem. The wages of sin is death. We are all sinners. So therefore, it means that you and I deserve death. Yeah, Pastor Henry, I, I, we've lost loved ones this past year. I understand that, that death, uh, the statistics, as I like to say, the statistics don't lie. One out of one dies. And so it is true. You say, Pastor Henry, I get all that, that all of us deserve death. But can I explain a little bit about death? See, death in the Bible is, and certainly in real reality, is much more than just this body dying. Death is separation. There's a physical death, what might be caused, uh, called the first death. And physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. When we gather around a grave site, when we are in turning a body into the ground, we will often say we commit this body to the ground, but the soul unto the Lord of a believer. Because death, the physical death, the first death, is the separation of that body from the soul. But spiritually, what is death? See, Pastor Henry, I I never knew that there was another death. Well, the Bible speaks of it. In fact, in a couple different passages, the Bible will call spiritual death the second death. So the first death is that, that physical death, that certainly sin ushered in at the Garden of Eden. And yet the reality is the, the cost, the penalty of sin is much greater than physical death. It encourages or involves, encompasses spiritual death which is also separation. Notice what the Bible says. John wrote in Revelation, Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now, interesting. It's mentioned in other places. The second death is that spiritual death, and it is what? Separation from God. Now, my friend, here is what today is all about. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again so that he could perform the greatest miracle, and that is this, to deliver you from the second death. So that you would not have to face that separation from God, your creator, the God of heaven. We know the verse probably well. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, do you see the contrast in that verse? Because this is the difference that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection makes. There is a contrast, a comparison between death and perishing and then eternal or everlasting life. You ever wonder about that? That comparison, death, perishing, versus everlasting eternal life. Now, there's an interesting thought about that, but let's understand the verse we already mentioned, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, also provides or shows this contrast. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Have you ever wondered why, though, this refers to both in John 3, 16 and Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 and even other passages, why, in, why does the Bible make the point, now don't miss this, of it being an everlasting, eternal life. Well, say, Pastor Henry, that's easy. It's it's because we will live, if we trust in Christ, one day forever. That is true, but may I also say this, and some people, sometimes people don't understand the Bible teaches this about hell and eventually the lake of fire is this. Listen to me. If you go, if you die and pass from this earth and you enter into eternity, my friend, without trusting Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in the lake of fire. 
It is eternal and everlasting. Now, wait a minute. If that's also eternal and everlasting, why does the Bible make such a point about everlasting and eternal? I think there's a couple reasons, but I think one of the most important ones is this. Who is eternal and everlasting? God in heaven. And I want you to see if death is separation from God. You know what life is? I get to be with God for all of eternity. My creator, my savior. You see, it isn't really life. It really is an eternal, everlasting life until I know Jesus Christ. And here's the reality, friend. You know what makes heaven so wonderful? Is that you and I get to have a relationship with God for all of eternity. He is the grand creator. He is the God of all. He created you and I. And my friend, it took Jesus Christ dying on the cross, being buried and raising from the dead so that you and I could look forward to through faith and trust in him, having a relationship with the God of all creation for all of eternity. So when I read that word eternal, when I read that word everlasting and everlasting life in John three sixteen, my friend, yes, it will be an eternal life. Certainly it means that. But oh, my friend, you know what it says? You and I get to spend, have a relationship, be close with God for all of eternity. Death, separation, not to be with he who is life. John chapter 14, Jesus Christ made a promise. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye may be also. Everlasting life. Eternal life. You see, my friend, that's the promise. That if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth can have everlasting life, something that is impossible in and of ourselves because of our sin. And every single person has a choice. Whosoever will. Pastor Henry, you don't know what I've done, the sins I've committed. My friend, can I tell you, it doesn't say whosoever except if you've committed this many sins. It says whosoever pastor henry you don't know how many times i've run from god whosoever whosoever will whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved my friend the master of miracles was jesus christ he performed many miracles but one of his greatest is yet to be done if you have yet to trust in him and that's to deliver you from death unto life would you consider it today he said, Pastor Henry, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. I'll remember what you said and what was presented in the drama and the music. I'll do that. And well, you should. But I want you to understand that John followed up John chapter 3, verse 16 with John 3, verse 18. Just a few verses later, he said this. He that believeth on him is not condemned. That penalty, that sin, that death and lake of fire. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed. Jesus Christ said, I am the door. My friend, the door is open to heaven. It's unlocked because of what Christ did on the cross. The question is, will you accept it through faith? Will you believe? And remember, he that believeth not is condemned already. 
You're saying, Pastor Henry, you're just trying to scare us. Well, let's say this. Let's say you and I were walking down the, the, the street together for some reason, and we were walking, all of a sudden we came upon a house, and it was obviously on fire. It was burning, and, and it was well engulfed in flames, and something had happened inside, and boy, we knew there were flames. I'm like, man, oh, goodness gracious, look at that. Uh, that, that, that house is just about to burn down completely. And uh, you said, you know what? I'm going to go in there. And I said, no, 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 don't go in there. You'll die if you go in there. You'll either be burned up or you'll have asphyxiation from the smoke don't go in there that would be a terrible decision and you look at me and you say this you're just trying to scare me now let me ask you this if hell is indeed real as the bible says it is the inspired preserved word of god and i stand here and tell you he that believeth not is condemned already my friend it is not an attempt to scare you it is an attempt to warn you don't go to hell you don't have to. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again, conquering death and sin in the grave. So my friend, you would never have to taste of the second death. That you could be delivered through faith and trust in him. You see, my friend, the greatest miracle, in my estimation, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins, my sins, and to purchase life for us. But the greatest tragedy is this. The one who does not believe. Who goes to hell in the lake of fire, passing from this life when no man knows, the Bible says, is appointed of the man who wants to die. But after this, the judgment. The greatest tragedy is for you and I to have heard to come face to face with the reality, the proof, the evidence that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That there is a hell and then we reject it. We refuse to believe. He that believeth not is condemned already. And then one day to open up our eyes in hell and eventually the lake of fire. The point of today, the point of this cantata, the point of this little challenge on my part is simply this. You see, friend, Jesus Christ is still performing miracles today. He is changing the eternal destination of everyone that believes in him. All those miracles before were done so that you and I would look at him and say, yeah, he is the Savior. Yeah, he is the Son of God. Yes, he alone can pay the penalty for my sins. So that you and I, as John would put it, that you and I would believe that he is the son of God and that he died for our sins. And we would put our faith and trust in him alone for salvation, for heaven, for life eternal with God. Have you done it today? I'd ask every head bowed and every eye closed. If you would, I'm almost done. Thank you so much for your attention. I appreciate it tremendously. I'm almost done. So if you'll bear with me just a moment, but would you listen up very carefully, uh, very clearly? It, simple reality is this. The Bible makes it clear that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So my friend, my question for you right now is have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Has there been a time where you acknowledge to God, yes, God, I realize I am a sinner. The way that I am going is, is I'm on the path to hell and the lake of fire. And so, Father, I'm repenting of that sin. I, I, I am claiming Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary for me, for my payment of sin. 
so that I could be made righteousness in Christ Jesus as he took on my, as he was made sin for me, I could be made righteousness in him, his righteousness. And Father, today I, I'm trusting in him. My friend, today, if you've done that, I rejoice with you, but would you be reminded that the greatest miracle that Christ ever performed was to deliver you from death unto life? Would you praise him in prayer, even now as our heads are bowed? If you say, Pastor Henry, I know I've trusted Christ. I I know there was a day where I put my faith and trust in him for salvation, and after realizing who he was, what he did, and what he could do for me, man, I, I have put my faith and trust in him. Would you rejoice in that today? Would you utter a prayer even now? Thank you. Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for what you did. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor Henry, I, I can't do that because there's never been a time in my life, that there's never been a, a time where I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it clear that whosoever, as we said, can do so, but it also says this, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, trusting in Christ is a hard attitude. It is a, a done from the heart. We believe unto righteousness with the heart, but we do so in a prayer. Uh, talking to God is really all it is as we cry out to him to save us. And so that prayer may go something like this. If you're here today, you could certainly word a prayer, something to this effect. And uh, it's not about the words, my friend. It is about your heart attitude. Believing from the heart unto righteousness. So it might go something like this. Dear God, I realize today that I am truly a sinner. I acknowledge it. And I realize that your word says that my sin makes me deserving of hell. And Lord, today I understand and I am trusting that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins so that I could gain heaven and lose hell. And today I'm trusting in his sacrifice for my salvation. Father, please save me today as you have promised to do in your word, as I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. My friend, can I tell you a simple prayer just like that? The Bible says, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And if thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus, if you do that today, my friend, God has promised you salvation. Remember the verse? But the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I would encourage you, if you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, would you pray that prayer? Would you trust him today? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Would it be for you? Our Father, we thank